Tonight we are uh, looking at the end of the book of Revelation, talking about looking forward to the Lord's return as we've been speaking about the second Adam and our hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we look at this particular study tonight, there are some uh, real uh, sobering thoughts, uh, great encouragement, but also, uh, as I say, uh, some sobering, somber thoughts as well as we think about the Lord's return. So, Revelation 22, 6-1 is an epilogue, conclusion, or application to the prophecy that is given throughout the book. The uh, book of Revelation is given to us not simply so that we can sit down and make charts about the Lord's return or try to guess what date that's going to be or any of that kind of prophetic, and if you pardon the word, nonsense, but rather it's given to us for very practical living in our lives. And so, the conclusion comes with uh, three statements of the truth that the Lord is coming quickly. Revelation 22.7, Behold, I am coming quickly. Revelation 22.12, Behold, I am coming quickly. And then Revelation 22.20, Yes, I am coming quickly. Then there are three applications to the truth that the Lord is coming quickly, or three responses that we ought to have in light of that truth. The first, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Second response, Revelation 22:12. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. And then thirdly, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. And then our response is, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So as we look at these three responses, I'm going to work through the text. And the theme is, how should we live in light of the knowledge that the Lord is coming quickly? First, we should have an anticipation that it will be well worthwhile to have been obedient to the Lord while looking forward to his return. Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book. The book of Revelation opens and closes with a statement of the blessedness for those who give credence to the prophecies of this book. These are bookends. The beginning and close of the book of Revelation centers upon this thought. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it. We are blessed to have God's word. We are to listen to God's word. And then we are to, as the NAS translates, heed or keep it or follow God's word. Again, the book of Revelation isn't just given to us to uh, try to stimulate our, our thinking. It's more than just useful for Bible trivia, but it is really given to us to teach us how to live in light of the Lord's return. B. This hope should be manifest in a confidence Concerning the reality of the Lord's return. Revelation 22:20. 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. So we need to have an assurance, an expectation, a looking forward to the Lord's return. And as we look forward to the Lord's return, we are given further exhortation. Number two, there is the anticipation of reward that should accompany our thoughts of the Lord's return. And behold, I come quickly, 
and my reward is with me. Hey, this teaches us that lives lived for the Lord are not lived in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abound in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we're to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, knowing that it is very worthwhile for us to have served the Lord. Then secondly, this teaches us that the struggle to overcome life's obstacles is worth it. Now, as I have sought to make application here, in, in some ways I have really belittled this text. Because when it's talking about the aspect of overcoming, in context, it has to do with the struggle in giving one's life for one's faith. The overcoming is an actual triumph in the sense that we are willing to die for our faith. So these verses start off with an exhortation. That is to listen to what's being said. If you look at Revelation 2 verse 7, it says, He who has an ear to hear, Ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 22.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's this exhortation that, that if you are given the ability to hear, if you're given the privilege to have this prophecy, and if you have the ability to comprehend it, then by all means, listen to what it has to say. Take it to heart. Uh, live in light of its knowledge. And begins with this exhortation concerning the blessing that comes to those who overcome. Look at Revelation 2, 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes. Revelation 2.17. To him who overcomes. Revelation 2.26. He who overcomes. Revelation 3.5. He who overcomes. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes. Revelation 3.21. He who overcomes. Revelation 21.7. He who overcomes. You get this constant refrain that the blessings that are talked about are for those who overcome. So what does it mean to overcome? Well, it is to a conquer or to achieve. This word is used in connection with two different metaphors. It's used in connection with a military term, which to overcome is to conquer. It is in order to go to battle, go to battle, and be able to overcome the enemy. And it's a fight against death, a fight against death. And that fits this narrative. And it's also a metaphor that's used in athletic contests for having become victorious and receiving a reward. 
And this passage repeatedly refers to a reward. So both of those metaphors fit and work well. The military aspect of overcoming an enemy and as an athlete that is victorious and receives an award. So look at the nature of the reward. The nature of the reward is as follows. Each has to do with receiving eternal life in some sense. The analogy is that he that overcomes in the sense that he is willing to give his life is going to experience eternal life. That is the common thread through each one of these. If you're willing to give your life, it's going to result in eternal life. Notice Revelation 2.7. To him overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. If you give your life, don't worry. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the par- par- uh, paradise of God. Uh, Revelation 2.11. But the Spirit said to the churches, he overcomes, shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death is being cast into hell. Revelation 20, verse 14 reads, And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. I have often said that death in Scripture is never cessation. It is never passing out of existence. But rather, death is always separation. Uh, So that physical death is separation of body and soul. Spiritual death is separation from God. And so the second death is the, the final and ultimate separation from God in which people are cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, and abominable and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 2.17 To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows who receives it. Now, if you unpack this imagery, the first has to do with this hidden manna. All of these, again, are different ways of talking about experiencing the blessedness of eternal life. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 32, when uh, God had spoke to Moses, then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it, that is the manna, be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer full of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. So this manna that was given from God in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, and if you remember that manna would spoil after a day. But uh, God preserved the manna on the Sabbath day. They were not to go out and uh, gather it, for it wouldn't be present. But the day before, they were to gather twice as much. And they would have enough for the Sabbath day. But God miraculously preserved some of this manna 
They were to place it in a jar. A jar that they could actually see this manna to remind them of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, of God's blessedness, of God's provision. And the imagery is that one day we all are going to be able to partake of that manna that's been hidden, that's been preserved, that's been set aside. That we're all going to get a taste of God's goodness in preserving our lives, watching over us, protecting us. The stone that is referred to in verse 17, and I will give him a white stone. The stone that is referred to as a stone that was used for casting votes. A white stone was used to cast a yes vote, and a black stone was used to cast a no vote. Today, we talk in terms of a person being blackballed. You've heard that expression? To blackball a person? Well, that comes from secret oath-bound societies that sometimes take people in by members voting as to whether or not they're going to accept this person into their membership. And people will come up and they will place a marble, either a white marble or a black marble, into a jar or some container to symbolize whether they're going to accept this person or reject it. And if all the marbles are white, the person's accepted. If they get a black ball, they are rejected. They've been blackballed. Here the connotation is you get this white stone. You get a yes vote. You're welcomed into the community of God. That you enjoy that membership in the body of Christ. And thus, his name is written. And a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. The secret oath-bound society, you didn't get to know what happened in those secret places until you actually became a full member. And then the secrets of that oath-bound society are revealed to you. In that sense, it is saying these things you cannot know until you become a full-fledged member, until you participate in these things. And then all of it is going to be revealed. Then you're going to know fully all these things that we long to know and experience today. Revelation 2.26 And he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. We've looked at the last few weeks about reigning with Christ. So I'm not going to say a lot about that. Revelation 3.5 He who overcomes thus shall be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Probably the most difficult thoughts of all of these verses. In fact, we might ask the question, what does that mean? Well, it has its origin in Exodus, chapter 32, verse 32, where Moses says to God, But now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from thy book, which thou hast written. In Revelation 17, it says, The beast that you saw was and is not, and is about to come up out of the abyss, and to go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth will wonder whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now, it says that we, our name has been written in the book of life before the very foundation of the world. It is a tenet of election 
that God chose. Ephesians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly place in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Before God even made this world, he chose a people unto salvation. Revelation 17.8 says, And your name is written in that book before the foundations of the earth. But now we read about this fact that he will not blot us out of that book. What is an apparent threat is actually intended to be a great encouragement to us. We might think that if a person dies under persecution, that that must mean that they are not right with God or somehow God has failed them. Because their life has not been preserved or kept. There is no promise that our lives are going to be spared in times of persecution. There is none. Many, many people throughout the generations, throughout church history, have died for their faith. Matthew tells us, in Matthew 10.28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy him both soul and body in hell. There are a lot of fears associated with the tribulational period. It's not going to be a pleasant time by any means. It's going to be a hard and difficult time. And it's going to be a time in which God's wrath is poured out. God's people are spared from that wrath. And it's also going to be a a time in which Satan's wrath is poured out. And God's people aren't going to be spared from that wrath. Uh, There is going to have to be a a mark of the evil one placed upon the forehead if you're going to buy or sell or get gain. Uh, And so Christians aren't going to be able to take that mark. And they are, uh, as a result... Uh, Many, many people are going to die. But it is meant to be an encouragement. There there is not to be fear, but rather it's intended to be an hope. Okay? What is the benefit of giving one's life? The answer is, but you have eternal life. You have eternal life. If you think about it, every one of us is going to die. Unless the Lord comes back before the end of our life. But we're all going to die. Death is not unique to persecution. You and I are all going to die. We're going to die of old age. We're going to die of heart disease. We're going to die of something. We're going to die. And some are going to die for their faith. But the great consolation is that you have eternal life. Listen to the words of Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer 
That's the imagery of the overcoming. In all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing is going to be able to tear us away from the love of God, which is bestowed on us in Christ Jesus. Now, I said to you last work, last week, I'm a coward. I am. I'm scared of a lot of things. Uh, I, I'm not the hero type. Okay, and, and one of the things, as I said last week, that always bothered me was, would I be able, if someone would walk in here with a, with a gun tonight and point it at my head and say, either renounce Christ or die, what would I do? What would I do? Well... I believe by the grace of God, I wouldn't renounce Christ. Not because of who I am, but because of the grace that he gives. The grace that he gives. I'd like you to listen to uh, our article on Perseverance of the Saints. It reads as follows. Salvation is the work of God from its commencement to its consummation. Thus, those regenerated by the word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit become partakers of the divine nature. They are preserved by the power of God so that they shall never totally or finally fall away, but shall persevere unto the end. Our confidence is that by the grace of God, we won't totally or finally fall away. There may be times in our lives in which we struggle. There may be times in our lives in which we wander from God. There may be times in our lives in which we show a great deal of fear in naming the name of Christ. But we have the example of Peter, who denied the Lord three times. But Peter ultimately, finally, did not fall away. Ultimately, Peter is willing to die. He actually gives his life. Uh, he is martyred, as are all of the uh, apostles, except for, Jesus, uh, except for John, who dies on the Isle of Patmos in uh, virtual prison for his faith. But they will never finally or totally fall away. But you see, these, these exhortations are very, very real. We need to take them seriously. Revelation 3.12 He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will go out from it anymore, and I will write upon him the name of God, the name of the holy city. Revelation 3.21 He overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne. 21.7, he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I'll be as God, he will be my son. The implication is, if you don't overcome, you will not enjoy these blessings. If you don't overcome, you will not enjoy these blessings. That's where the fear comes in. Well, how do I know I'm going to overcome? Well, it's going to be the grace of God in your life. It's worth it. 
Hang in there. Have confidence. Because God is going to ultimately and finally deliver you. Not necessarily preserving your life, just as, as a Christian. As a Christian. Right now, without any persecution, there is no guarantee that tomorrow we aren't going to die. We're not going to live forever. That's never the promise. That we won't experience physical death. The promise is we won't experience eternal death. We won't experience separation from God. We hold to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We don't use the wording eternal security. Eternal security is really an Arminian response to the doctrine of perseverance of the saints. Now, what's the difference? What's the difference? The difference is this. Now, not for all, to be sure, that hold to eternal security, but some that would hold to eternal security would say that the person who makes a profession of faith has absolute assurance of eternal life. So, you pray a prayer to receive Christ and then put your name in John 3.16. For God so loved so-and-so. For God so loved you that he gave over that you would not perish but everlasting life. And once you have done that, you are secure. No matter what happens. No matter how you live your life. No matter if you ever darken the church door. No matter if you are interested in the things of God. Pray this prayer and you're good for, for your life. That's, that's your ticket to heaven. Really? That is, is pretty foreign to the Scriptures. The person who receives Christ, there's going to be a change in their life. The Holy Spirit is going to be imparted. He who began a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. If a person makes a profession of faith and then has no interest at all for the rest of their life in the things of God, there is real, there is real reason to worry. It even goes so far in the gospel to say that many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many marvelous deeds? Have we not done these things? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. That is absolutely foreign to American evangelicalism today. I tell you, there are a lot of people that are running around that I am very concerned aren't saved. Because of whatever reason, whatever reason, out of an emotional response, out of a, a desire to have a friend, whatever, they make some kind of profession that isn't life-changing at all. The Spirit of God regenerates. The Spirit of God brings change. And if that person doesn't change, they ought to be Fearful. They ought to be afraid. Was this faith real? Was it the genuine McCoy? Or is it a cheap counterfeit? Is, is it just a false, unreal faith that isn't really produced by God? It is saying here, if you have real faith, you'll be willing to give your life. Not because of you, but because of the grace of God. That's what he will do in your life. He'll give you the ability to stand. He will give you the ability to overcome. He will help you through this.
He will help you through this. And there are many Christians who, in our circles, are not being persecuted and giving their life. But there are a lot of people who hear terrible news. There are a lot of Christians who are told that they're going to die. That they don't have very long to live. And that can be earth-shattering news. That can be the worst thing that they've ever heard in their life. What do they do with it? How do they respond to it? The child of God finds solace in their relationship with God. A child of God doesn't turn their back and say, how can God ever do this to me? Look at all all that I've done for him. Look how I've served the church. Look at all these things. And throw in their hands and say, you know, that God has let me down. I want nothing to do with him. That's not how the child of God responds. The child of God seeks God at those times. Asks for his help. Asks for his grace. Asks for his encouragement. And dies in faith. In like manner, so too will happen in a time of persecution. Revelation 3.21, he overcomes, I'll grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. Revelation 21.7, and I will be his God and he will be my son. To him who overcomes. Um, There just are, unfortunately, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that make a profession, and and that's the key, they're, they're making a profession. They're saying this, but the Spirit of God has not really done a work in their life, and they have absolutely no interest in the things of God, no change, no transformation. I'm telling you, there is no basis for giving them the assurance that they have a saving relationship with God. First John is written, it says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And if you work your way through First John, you find out there's five things in that book that says, this is how you know you have eternal life. This is how you know you are a child of God. And it's not... Did you pray a prayer at some time in your life? Did you raise your hand at some point in your relationship with hearing the gospel? That's not what is asked. Did you go forward in a meeting? It's, do you acknowledge your sinfulness? Do you have a love for the brethren? Are you continuing on in your walk with God? These are the tests in 1 John. And so there is a lot of very, very false Assurance that is being given to people. It's saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. Okay, this is, this is important stuff in the book of Revelation. D. This teaches us the rewards will be a powerfully motivating influence. Okay, let's go to three. Because I'm running out of time here. There should be a longing for the Lord's return or at least a readiness for the Lord's return. Revelation 22.20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I'm coming quickly. The response is, even so come Lord Jesus. We ought to long for the Lord's return. 
This readiness comes as a result of having accepted Christ. Revelation 22:17. In the spirit of the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. We need to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We need to be ready for His return. We need to be ready to stand before Him. Ready for judgment. Have to believe in Christ. And secondly, this readiness comes as a result of having lived for Christ. Revelation 22, 18. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life from the holy city, which are written in this book. We uh, make light sometimes of all the material that's out there that, are, that is written from, quote unquote, a Christian perspective about end times, coming up with dates when the Lord's going to return, talking about what he's going to do and all these kind of things where people are adding to... Uh, Times past, I've brought into this pulpit books that talk about those that say they've gone to heaven and seen these things. Those that say they've gone to hell and seen that and tell us all this other stuff. The warning is, the warning is, if you add to or take away from this, you have no part. That's not what a believer does. That's how serious this is. That's not how a person who is a true follower of God, acts. They don't add to God's Word. They don't take away from God's Word. Don't follow. Don't follow. Don't follow anyone that is either going to add new prophecy to the Word of God or wrench prophecy from the Word of God. Many times we think it's worse to wrench from. They're equally bad. Add to or take away. For he says, if anyone takes away from words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life from the Holy City which is written in this book. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. This is a purifying, this is a sanctifying thought in our lives. As we look forward to the Lord's return, as we think about standing before him, it puts this life into perspective. And we see that it really matters. It really matters about the genuineness, about the authenticity, about the realness, if you will, of our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, and I'm kind of always afraid to preach this kind of sermon, because the people that are going to be fearful are the people who don't need to be fearful. And the people who aren't fearful many times are the people who do need to be fearful. What I mean by that is... You know, there's a, there's a sense of unrest in the heart of the child of God. That we all know that we aren't what we ought to be. That's healthy. That's healthy. What is unhealthy 
is the attitude of the non-believer who sees no need of Christ, no need of forgiveness, no need of his death on the cross. They're doing just fine, thank you. Just fine. There needs to be an ongoing awareness in our lives that we need Jesus Christ. There needs to be an ongoing awareness in our life. You know, I need God's forgiveness. Not that I was just forgiven back here, but I need God's forgiveness today. Having said that, of course we understand that forgiveness always comes through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he has forgiven us once and for all, for all time. But it's just a conscious awareness. He who believes the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. It's always in the present tense. It's never in the past tense. He who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. It's he who believes. It's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we realize today, as much as we did 20, 30, 50, how many years ago it was that we accepted, quote unquote, the Lord as our Savior, that today I am just as assured that I need God's forgiveness. I need God's power. I need God's enablement. I need God's help. The best thing you can do tonight is to go away thinking, you know, if I'm really going to live for Christ the way I, I ought, I need his help. I can't do that on my own. I need the, the Spirit of God to strengthen me each and every day to live as I ought to live to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word and help us as we seek to live for you. Give us of your grace and Lord, uh, give us confidence that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, whether it be tribulation or distress or peril or nakedness or sword. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But Lord, uh, as we think about that great truth, may we be ever mindful of our need of you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.